Well, markets were a little shaken by the news from Europe, with Austria going into lockdown plus mandatory vaccines. Germany's infection rates aren't looking too good either, so the divide between Europe and the US is broadening again. We'll look at that. Plus, the Bank of England. It's not clear that they will lift rates next month. Is the governor trying to backtrack on that? Whilst the US might well be tapering faster, you'd assume, so they can lift rates sooner. Speaking of which, just how much will the RBNZ lift rates this week? Maybe as much as half percent, which seems rather a lot, doesn't it? It's Monday, the 22nd of November, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the US dollar was on the rise at the end of last week, adding half a percent on the DXY index, close to 1% up across the week. The Aussie dollar lost 0.6% on Friday, 1.3% down over the week at 72.3 US cents, the lowest it's really been since late September. The euro also down 1.3% over the week, 0.7% down on Friday. The pound doing a little better down just 0.3% on Friday, but actually up slightly over the week. And bond yields continue to fall in the US and Europe. 10-year treasuries down four basis points on Friday to 1.55%. But you can't really call it a a long downward trend, just three sessions with yields falling. Bigger falls in Europe, though, down seven basis points in Germany and France. Ten-year bonds now at minus 0.34%. For a while, back in early November, we were just seven basis points off bonds returning to positive yields. We're a long way off that now. The stock market, well, it's been a bit of a yo-yo lately, hasn't it? Down for the Dow and the S&P on Friday. But a 0.4% rise in the Nasdaq shares down across Europe as well. The Eurostoxx 50 lost 0.6% on Friday. And big falls in oil as well, 2.9% down for Brent at the end of the week. Also a 3.1% drop on the day uh, for WTI, both well below $80 now. So let's start. It seems like there's a lot happening in Europe, and perhaps not surprisingly with the, the news around uh, Austria and to an extent Germany. So let's start there with Rodrigo Catrill from NAB in Sydney. I mean, no surprise, given what's happening there, that there's all this caution because they've got uh, lockdowns now in Austria. They've got the anti-vax protests across the continent. Austria introducing these mandatory vaccines. So you can imagine how well that's going down. And uh, we're seeing it in the markets, aren't we? <laughs> Morning, Phil. Yes, certainly we, we saw that in the uh, in the bond market in particular, where we saw those sharp declines in, in 10-year bonds, uh, which really led the decline in other core yields on Friday um, and was one of the main reasons why we saw that sharp decline on the euro as well. Um, so I think Austria as well is, is kind of being seen as a canary in, in the coal mine in a sense because it's not just an Austrian story. It's, it's you know, the spiking in, in, in infections is happening uh, across many European countries. And um, as much as Germany has said that they, they don't plan to do that, uh, the market is obviously concerned that given the rates of infection, they, they may be forced to do that um, ahead of Christmas. Yeah, well, I mean, that graph in Austria shooting up, it's also shooting up in Germany more than it is in yep. other places. These obviously all to do with uh, the vaccine rate because parts of well, Austria had a very low vaccine uptake and parts of Germany has got a, have got a lower uptake as well. So that's obviously the, the reason behind it. But you mentioned it's not just the bond yields, though, is it? Because we've seen it in currency. So the US dollar... And the euro, uh, the difference is becoming quite pronounced now, isn't it? There's, I mean, there's no doubt where the confidence lies right now. It is. And, and it really is a picture of um, economic outperformance and, and also how, how you, the U.S. has been able to, to deal and come out of this Delta COVID wave uh, quite, quite uh, robustly. Um, and, and the economy is performing, the consumer is performing. 
And also they have high inflation, which is also triggering, you know, the speculation that the central bank may have to do something sooner rather than later. And we are seeing, aren't we, the yield curve flattening in the US. So uh, it, it's all for all the moves have been focused at the longer end. 20 and 30 years down, six basis points on Friday. Two and three year yields are actually up quite a bit. So d- definite flattening there, which we're not seeing in Europe. Yeah. So there's uh, sort of the other theme, if you like, that is going on in, in the US is that uh, more uh, uh, Fed speakers are raising the concerns uh, that um, potentially a faster tapering uh, will be needed. And, and we had Fed Clarida, who is extremely influential, and, and Gavin Owell as well, um, talking about the prospects that uh, we may need to see uh, a speed up of the process of tapering. And we got to remember that when they announced the, the, the tapering uh, decision in October, they did say that they would... Uh, they will review the pace of tapering in December. Um, and the data since then has actually been quite, quite positive. And, and again, highlighting not only that improvement in the labor market has been uh, solid or continues to be solid, but also that inflation is not just a transitory story, you know, of those reopening sort of factors, but it's actually becoming broad based. Uh, and that is a major concern for many of the um, Fed members. So the prospect there is that we might see uh, an announcement that uh, tapering could happen sooner. Uh, so an increase in the level of tapering in December. And then, of course, that's very important because if tapering ends sooner rather than June, July, maybe March uh, or even April, then it opens the door for Fed rate hikes uh, to come sooner yeah. uh, rather than later. Well, do you remember Jerome Powell was saying, of course, not so long ago that uh, the two were completely unconnected. So when tapering finished, that didn't automatically surmise from that that there's going to be a rate rise. But obviously, the main reason for trying to rush forward with tapering is so they can bring that rate rise forward. <laughs> well, yeah, he's, he's highlighting that the one end doesn't mean the beginning. Uh, but yeah. what, what he probably didn't emphasize is that the one needs to end before the other one begins. So, so the market is very much aware that, uh, you know, as long as you have QE, there's no prospects of rate hikes. But the moment it ends, then all of a sudden, it, you know, it's, it's free income. If you like, it, it just opens the door for, for, for rate hikes to happen as soon as possible. And this is kind of one of the factors why we're seeing the flattening of the curve. So there's been that, uh, you know, increase in rate hike expectations. But the market is not too sure about the long-term growth outlook. Um, and the market in itself, when you look at the break-even curve, also believes that, yes, these inflationary forces are here, uh, but they're not expected to, to last for you know, the long-term or the medium-term. And, and that's why streaming growth expectations over the, over the medium to long-term. And, and that's one of the factors why we're seeing this flattening of the curve. And, and on a scale of 1 to 10, <laughs> an arbitrary scale of 1 to 10, uh, where does Joe Biden, if he manages to get his uh, two trillion or one point seven trillion uh, uh, bill, the Build Back Better bill, uh, if he manages to get that passed by Christmas, it's, it's, it's passed the House. It's got to get through the Senate now. Um, I mean, we know it's going to help his approval ratings, but how much is it going to, uh, for example, influence uh, if there's all this extra money being pumped in? How much does it influence bonds and how much does it does it influence the Fed? Well, it's an interesting thing because from an economics perspective, um, we've got to remember that much of this funding of, the, of these projects uh, have, have come or will come from, you know, savings that have been done on, on other art and other expenses and, you know, change in taxes. Um, and, and when you look at the, the net effect over sort of the, the under the 10 year period, so around eight years, uh, is meant to be budget neutral. So from a fiscal multiplier or from fiscal stimulus effects, um, it's not going to add much more to, to the growth prospects of, of the U.S. economy. Um, 
But um, that is the economic argument. Uh, but from a political argument, what is happening in the U.S., the, the, the president is coming under a lot of pressure because of the inflationary pressures that we've seen in the economy and because, um, you know, there's a perception that he hasn't done enough about it. Um, and the Republicans have been very good at criticizing that and saying all this stimulus that has been brought up is going to be inflationary and it's going to make it even worse. So to answer your question, this is a political one as well, that there's, a, there's a, great, a greater degree of sensitivity about the rise, or the increasing in prices in the US ahead of the midterms next year. Um, and it's, 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 it's going to be tricky because passing all, all these bills that President Biden promised that he would do it's a, it's a political win, uh, but inflationary pressures uh, are a concern and, and the opposition is blaming but if you say, or will but if blame you, someone. But if you say it is all politics, if you say none of it's really new money, then that's not you're not expanding the money supply. It's not uh, government expanding its spending per se. So uh, so why would it be inflationary? But, um, but yeah, uh, you can see politics may force the, the pressure for, uh, for, for moves faster if it's seen the other way. But anyway, let, let, meanwhile, let's look at what's happening in the UK because Andrew Bailey had something interesting to say in the Sunday Times. Yeah. He's never actually been there saying that they are going to rate, rate, raise the rates in December. Uh, and uh, he's sort of taking a pretty balanced view, isn't he? He said, you know, he's actually pointing out that the inflation problem is on the supply side. Monetary policy is not going to fix that. Uh, the only issue uh, counter to that if, uh, if, if wage bargaining pushes and you start to see second round effects then they're going to have to do something about it so he's trying to argue both sides isn't he he is he is he's trying to argue both sides he also was dismissive of of you know the criticism being the unreliable boyfriend unreliable boyfriend um but to i think gavin was was making this point last week that uh, unfortunately in the interview uh it wasn't clear what he defines as uh, inflation expectations because Many of us in the market, we look at break-even curves uh, and, and the levels. And in that sense, um, you know, this is what the point what Cameron was making is that we did see a break higher in break-even. So inflation expectations from a market perspective look that have become, it appeared to have become an anchor. And therefore, the, in the market treat that, treated that as a signal of the major concern that inflation expectations are rising and running away. And therefore, the bank needs to do something. Um, so he reiterated the point that you know, as long as inflation expectations don't, don't you know, uh, start rising and become uh, sort of unmanageable, then he's, he can afford to be patient. But uh, um, it's unclear as to what measure he's using, because in, in many ways that is already happening. So um, we remain none the wiser in that sense. But uh, what, as you say, the one thing is that he didn't hint or provide any hint uh, that a December hike is coming. Uh, and again, he's still very much on on a wait and see. Well, mode. He was almost trying to talk it down in a way, wasn't he? Whereas Christine Lagarde, uh, you know, still pointing out that uh, you know purchasing power is being squeezed by high energy and fuel bill, fuel bills. If they started uh, further tightening of financial conditions, she said it's not desirable and would represent an unwarranted headwind for the for the recovery. So absolutely no doubt at all about where the ECB is heading. Yes, so. Uh, at least from from her perspective, is is very much a story mm. of these factors that are supply side driven, um, and they, you know there's not much you can do about it. And in fact, if you if you lift the cash rate against that backdrop, um, given the delay in terms of monetary policy effects or impact on on the economy, 
it may well be that you're contracting the economy when you know there's already a slowdown and there's no longer those inflationary pressures in the, yeah. in the economy. Well, I'm sure Andrew Bailey is thinking exactly the same thing, isn't yeah. he? Look, uh, today uh, we get Australia's uh, preliminary PMI readings for November and this afternoon the uh, PBOC, People's Bank of China, uh, is announcing its loan prime rates, which aren't expected to change. And we get uh, US existing home sales tonight as well. And consumer confidence numbers for Europe, which you'd imagine are going to go further into the red, given all that's going on. Um, and quite a busy week as well, isn't it? Because we get Aussie retail sales, we get global PMIs, a lot going on. And the RBNZ, what are they going to do? Because there's some talk that they might actually raise rates by as much as half a percent. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's the, I suppose the in in terms of uh, the the central bank sort of move, the the RBNZ is the big focus this week. Um, the market is uh, sort of comfortable with the idea that there's a rate hike coming, um, but uh, there's potentially two, or, or rather not not just a 25 basis point, but a, a 50 basis point rate hike. Um, and indeed, the market is, is is sort of pricing a little bit more than a 50-50% chance that we will see that 50, uh, 50 basis point rate hike. So um, because of this sort of divergence, if you like, uh, there's the potential for uh, a big uh, reaction one way or another. Um, our sense or our BNZ colleagues uh, believe that uh, the RBNZ will continue with its idea of, you know, further rate hikes coming, uh, but at a pace of 0.25% um, as, as and when we go along. Um, so they don't expect a 0.5% uh, hike this uh, week. Um, so it will be important, but ultimately the message there will be that this is not the end of it and more of the same should be expected. Uh, and, and therefore, those uh, pricing expectations should remain priced uh, over the course of the curve for, for the next uh, 12 months. Well, we've got a busy week ahead, haven't we? It's a short one as well because of uh, Thanksgiving in the United States. So Joe Biden has uh, actually uh, pardoned two turkeys this year. So if there's a turkey shortage <laughs> in the United States, blame him. Uh, but we'll uh, leave it all for now. Good to talk, Rodrigo. Catch you again next time. Thanks, Phil. Cheers. And there we are, kicking off another week on The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening.